Kashmir is not a Kashmiri problem. In the same way, Palestine is not a Palestinian problem, or Yemen, or Syria, or Iraq, or Libya, these or Burma. These are all symptoms of the very same root cause which I've just described. When the Messenger said, the Imam, the Islamic leadership, is a shield from which Muslims fight and defend themselves. That's what I'm saying. If that shield was there, would the Jews behave so arrogantly and so haughtily as they have been? Would the Hindus be behaving like that? Even the Crusaders in the West used to tremor in their feet and not behave like that. And since when did the Jews and the Hindus ever become warriors? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum listeners. Today we have another Talking Deen podcast for you. It's a bonus episode, so we don't have video on this one, but hopefully you'll understand why we have a really important topic to discuss. It's the topic of what is happening in Kashmir today and in the last couple of days. You've got myself, Brother Rash, I've got Imran who's coming on the session for the first time and I've got Brother Mazhar who's been on the previous topic when we discussed the deal of the century. So today we want to go through what is currently happening in Kashmir, the abolishment of Article 370. This is part of the Indian constitution which is a key element which links Kashmir to India but the abolishment of it allows India to basically usurp Kashmir and make it part of itself. Equally, we'll have a bit of a chat about Article 35A, which is within this, and this is what allows currently a level of autonomy to the Muslims in Kashmir or the occupants of Kashmir so that other people outside cannot own land unless they are residents of Kashmir itself. Equally, this is the other reason why we wanted to do this podcast is what we can see is a lot of the, the people inside because there's been a complete lockdown. There's no internet, there's no phone lines, people cannot communicate out. So it's really important we are aware of what is going on to the extent that whilst we can see that there's been people calling and saying there can be a potential for a genocide. There's, we've heard that there's shelling already started in some areas and we've also heard that you know there's there's people online twitter and kind of quite prevalent people already talking about oh we're going to take element parts of the land and we want to build on there there's people kind of right-wing hindu nationalists already making fun of the situation and that's quite prominent as well with things like kashmir Bur final fight is already trending on twitter so i'm going to start off by just let's give a bit of historical context Let's have a chat about why this is occurring and kind of where this started. And I'll bring the brothers in to, to make some comments on that, please. Yeah, so um, the, um, uh, the issue of uh, Kashmir actually started um, in the historical context after the British withdrawal, um, having colonized India for uh, over 100 years prior to that. Um, we have to remember that India was a Muslim state uh, run by the uh, Mughals in which everyone lived uh, in security with peace and prosperity until the British came and caused the carnage which they did uh, after the, uh, um, uh, uh, the colonisation in which they exploited, divided and destroyed the country. They pit, created sectarian and religious violence. 
the unified uh, um, uh, the Hindus and the Sikhs uh, to drive out uh, the Muslims uh, from the influential areas of Delhi and, and Bombay, who were the which were the prime uh, business areas uh, controlled by Muslims. Uh, which then led to the um, uh, events of the partition creating East and West Pakistan in 1947. Uh, as for Kashmir, um, Mount Batten, who drew the uh, uh, the boundaries for this state, they divided Kashmir in a way in which the um, uh, a larger part of it, the Jammu and Kashmir side of it, remained uh, under Indian territory. And um, the governor at the time... Harry Singh, he was given the uh, choice uh, to choose where his province was going to go, if it was going to go with Pakistan or if it was going to go with uh, India. And he chose uh, India, uh, naturally, uh, which was uh, a foregone conclusion. Um, and then after that, um, uh, as a means to solve um, the dispute, um, uh, Kashmir was given a special status which was manifest in this article 370 which gave them some autonomy to make their own laws and to uh, have some rules. They had no control of uh, defence, they had no control of foreign affairs, <coughs> they couldn't control communications. In many ways it was a, a paralysed state under occupation whose actual defence and foreign policy was controlled by another state. Similar to what uh, they were envisaging in a two-state solution for a Palestinian state, state uh, which would be a lame duck state in effect. Um, and that's, um, uh, there was also Article 35, uh, which, um, um, uh, which prevented non-Kashmiris from buying land and property um, within Kashmir. So this was designed to keep the demographic makeup and the ethnic makeup um, of Kashmir which would prevent um, uh, the, um, uh, the Muslim population being displaced and replaced by um, a non-Muslim population. So we have to remember that uh, there are loads of outstanding UN resolutions uh, on Kashmir which give the Kashmiri people the right to a referendum uh, to choose their fate. <clears throat> but we know UN resolutions are only enforced when they are in favour of the power that dominates the UN, i.e. the US. So all UN resolution in relation to Palestine, in relation to Kashmir or any other issues which do not serve US foreign policy and which actually um, uh, keep the Muslims in a certain predicament are never enforced. Um, however, uh, should this article uh, be, uh, should this revocation be upheld by the Supreme Court, it would allow for a massive influx of uh, non-Muslims to become residents of Kashmir, which means that any future execution of a referendum uh, where the region would decide where it wants to go, its, uh, its, um, um, its uh, fate would be sealed, uh, similar to uh, the deal of the century, uh, what, the, um, uh, what the Americans and the Jews are planning in uh, Palestine. Well, I would even say that this was part of the manifesto, wasn't it, for the BNP in the first place. They recognised that they needed to remove this article and they kind of put this in the manifesto to ensure that when, obviously, when Modi won by a landslide, based on some of these anti-Muslim, pro-Hindu nationalist kind of sentiment, when he won with a landslide, he's now able to try and implement some of these 
kind of policies or from his manifesto to the extent that like you've just described there it means as Hindus kind of fill the region it's going to just make life even more difficult for Muslims not that it's not been difficult already being the most militarized place in the in the world today yeah and it's quite brazen to continue to consider that uh, this follows Imran Khan's visit to um, uh, America it also um, uh, follows the um, close relationship that Modi and Netanyahu have been building over the past couple of years. Mm. As you know, last year Netanyahu visited uh, India and prior to that Modi had visited Israel. Uh, Israel is now um, um, the biggest seller, uh, well, the biggest export market for Israeli weapons is now India. India, yeah. India is now training uh, Israeli uh, troops in the Negev desert of how to suppress uh, populations um, uh, and uprisings uh, and uh, uh, crowd control type tactics, um, which is not really crowd control, it's uh, oppression and massacre as we see in Gaza and um, and in the West Bank. I think Imran as well, you had some thoughts on the whole, you know, Imran Khan going to the White House and this happening so conveniently afterwards. Yeah, the, 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 the talk of, uh, about the, the reason why uh, Imran Khan went to visit, uh, it went to uh, visit US was uh, because of uh, the uh, peace negotiations that are going on between uh, Afghanistan, uh, between Taliban and uh, the US and Pakistan is seen as uh, one of the key states that has the influence over the uh, uh, Taliban. A bit of an arbitrator type. Right, yeah. yeah. So in order for the US to have some sort of exit strategy or safe passage out of uh, Afghanistan would mean getting uh, Pakistan involved as an arbitrator or, or a mediator. And, but Trump did mention while Imran Khan was there that Modi did ask uh, Trump to mediate uh, between Pakistan and yeah. India on, on the Kashmir issue which Modi later uh, denied or said that this didn't take place. So Pakistan, America needs Pakistan mm. in order for it, for itself to get out of, out of uh, Afghanistan. So you you just think or like to th- you like to think that Pakistan would have said okay negotiate or sort out the Kashmir issue for us and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make get grant you a safe uh, passage out of uh, Afghanistan. But though the interesting thing is that the uh, the response. Or the lack of response from Pakistan mm. in relation to India's actions in revoking Article 370 and the in- increase of uh, troops yeah, in Kashmir. Something like 35,000 in addition to the 500,000 right. exactly. that are already yeah, there. Yeah. So Imran Khan hasn't really come out like, 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 like he did before when mm. the uh, uh, when, when that, the Pulwama attacks happened, when that Pakistan army actually went into uh, uh, into Kashmir. No, on, on, onto the border, sorry. Mm. Yeah. So there hasn't been any movement of any troops as yeah. such uh, th- this time around. But he has asked uh, organizations such as the OIC, mm. uh, the UN. He's spoken to Erdogan, Turkey and his uh, counterpart in uh, Malaysia. His so, stance pretty, very much is still the whole diplomacy. Diplom- yeah, this is what yeah. I've come in for. Everything yeah. can be solved with diplomatic means yet. So, so he's trying to rally the international mm. community on, on, on his side. So there's really no appetite for war. Mm. Yeah. And is addressed to the Pakistani Assembly today, uh, outlined that, saying that look, the world would be in much more mess and the region would be in uh, chaos if there was a war and no one would win. So I think he's uh, more going down the road of gaining international support yeah. 
putting UN pressure on India. And to me personally, I think this is some sort of uh, pretext to have some sort of uh, conclusion or say in the issue with uh, uh, Kashmir. Mm. Uh, also, uh, Maz mentioned uh, the issue of uh, the links between Israel and uh, India. India is definitely using the same Zionist strategy as the Zionists are in uh, Palestine. Uh, and same thing what India is doing to the uh, uh, Muslims. So if you go back, far back as the, the Barbary Masjid, for example, mm. when they raised it to the ground, I think this was a test case for uh, to gauge a reaction from the Muslims that if a mosque, a masjid was to be raised to the ground, mm. and obviously the Zionists, they have got their agenda for Masjid al-Aqsa. Yeah? So I think they're very aligning themselves together in the same sort of strategy. And with this revoking of Article 370, the uh, Juma Kashmir will be exactly like the West Bank, yeah. where you got settlers coming in and displacing uh, well, people. Well, you're already seeing that type of dehumanization yeah. of, of Muslims in India, which yeah. is quite prevalent since the Modi government yeah. came into place. We've seen that, obviously, in, in Palestine, in the so-called State of Israel and stuff. Already that's been happening to yeah. Palestinians there. So it's very much a bit of a template, looks like, is being applied yeah. to, to Kashmir as well. Yeah, even Imran, Imran Khan's uh, uh, response, not response, the, uh, his contact between Turkey. If, India's, uh, and if India and Israel or uh, the soldiers or the army are uh, training each other, same, the Turkey is doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah? So you, you can't expect Imran Khan to get anything out of Turkey on Kashmir when they're supporting the same people or killing the Muslims in the, in the first place in Pakistan. They've still got good links with the, uh, India as well. So just as a question then, to the, for the listeners really, is there anything we've missed out in terms of what people need to be aware of in terms of, you know, why this is happening right now? Does anybody kind of have an indication of um, kind of something that could enlighten us in from a time frame point of view? Because it's quite convenient, isn't it, that everything that's been happening? Or is it just a case that because um, Modi's one now, he's um, implementing some of his policies? Maybe it's that. Well, I was reading a few reports where some analysts were saying that it's uh, the economy, Indian economy, isn't doing too well. Mm. So it's some sort of uh, destruction. But it seems a bit far-fetched, mm. a bit over-exaggerated for someone to say well, they're going to revoke Article 370, which makes uh, Kashmir part of uh, India. It's, it just seems a bit too drastic to do that. Well, the online sentiment very much of, mm. like, again, different organisations and group. A lot of people are saying, well, because of the lockdown because of the internet blocking, even to the extent that mobiles and even landlines have completely been blocked. People are saying that there's an, another chance of a, a genocide, an ethnic cleansing. We've recently had the Srebrenica kind of anniversary. People are saying it's, it seems like that happening again. So, but the thing is, it's easy to kind of fall into that trap because especially when you have kind of movements of changing pro profile pictures and things like that on, on social media, it's easy to fall into a trap of assuming that that is what's going to happen, but without realizing if that doesn't happen, you know, what are the other reasons? Is it, like we said earlier, if, if Kashmir can be kind of made part of India and more kind of non-Muslims, Hindus can go into that area, is it more a case of kind of a longer-term strategy when the Muslims feel like they're completely subdued? Yeah, and then that's one possible uh, pretext for India to say that we'll have a referendum mm. on which way Kashmir wants to go, yeah, either independence, Pakistan or India. And then obviously yeah. if the majority 
Hindus by that time, then obviously they want to go be part of uh, India, isn't it? Anything you want to add? Yeah, what was interesting was um, in the speech in Parliament today, Imran Khan uh, mentioned that um, um, should India go ahead with implementing this revocation of this article, um, then it would lead to a lot more uh, pull warmer type attacks. Where in February, Jaishu Mohammed um, uh, group uh, carried out an attack on a on a military bus, killing over forty uh, Indian soldiers. And in the uh, speech in Parliament today, he's, he was threatening India that there could be a lot more of these attacks, and then said, "But then Pakistan would be getting uh, the blame for it, and if Pakistan was to get the blame for it, and they were to." launch an attack on Pakistan, then they would reciprocate and then this would lead to uh, a long drawn out war which was unwinnable by either side and would have major consequences for the whole whole world. But he didn't rule out or warn India about carrying out any strike on Kashmir itself to consolidate its position or carry out any action in Kashmir. So considering that um, India has 700,000 troops stationed within Kashmir. <clears throat> They've been reinforced with up to 38 to 40,000 more um, um, uh, recently in the past uh, few days. Few days yeah. So there was no mention of that uh, either. So it, that could suggest that Pakistan is actually an accomplice to India and they there's maybe some kind of agreement that providing that India um, and Pakistan themselves are not involved in direct conflict, um, the issue of Kashmir might be on the table for resolution. Now, what that resolution involves, whether it's uh, the, uh, the original American plan, which was to have a plebiscite, uh, a referendum, and to have an independent Kashmir as part of America's ongoing policy of um, uh, fragmenting the Ummah into multiple states because for them Kashmir being part of Pakistan does not fit the Greater Middle East Initiative um, and the ongoing Sykes-Pico 2 campaign. Um, I suppose a lot of people just assume when they even look into Je- um, Greater Middle East Initiative that it's more for the Middle East but actually when it was mentioned it they highlighted that Pakistan was an area. Yeah, that Greater was Middle East. Uh, yeah, uh, goes all the way up to Pakistan. Yeah, included. So, um, and then the other prospect is that if there was going to be a prospect of a real war, as Imran Khan was mentioning in his speech today, then does that provide a pretext for um, um, UN in, in inverted commas peacekeepers to be stationed in Kashmir to keep the peace, which in effect uh, then opens up a military base for uh, America? Um, uh, in Kashmir, right on the border of China, especially when the Pentagon issued a warning back in May, um, raising the alarm that China was looking to increase its overseas military bases in various uh, countries, uh, including Pakistan itself. So is America trying to get there first, especially bearing in mind that uh, the trade route that uh, China is constructing, the CPEC corridor, runs through uh, northern Kashmir um, into Pakistan. Um, and, China, and at the moment, China has only one military base uh, outside China, which is in Djibouti. 
uh, again for um, for protecting its economic infrastructure, which invests in. So this, uh, so China has this ambitious one belt, one road global infrastructure program. So the old Silk Route running from China all the way through to Constantinople in Europe. Um, so, so it has its global ambitions. But what that means is that uh, China has to deploy its military in order to protect this infrastructure, this huge investment that it's carrying out. And, um, and these military bases, you know, um, according to the Pentagon, could include uh, locations such as the Middle East, Pakistan, and the Western Pacific. So, so I think we need to be looking at how does this action actually target uh, China? And with the recent escalation uh, in tensions between America and China on the economic front, and then with the rise in military spending you know, off China, um, uh, and then the report by the Pentagon only uh, just in May that, uh, um, that they were warning that China is looking to expand its military capability across its global infrastructure um, uh, projects, um, that America has to react to that. So, so does this give America a pretext to interfere, to have a presence in the region? Would actually a wider conflict between Pakistan and uh, India, does that impact China's economic project, uh, which um, actually run through Pakistan and that region towards the Middle East on the old Silk Route to begin with? I think one way to gauge that is also the response of uh, the US, which has been quite mute. Mm -hmm. So which means that they're happy for this issue to continue as it is until there's a certain time when it does get involved, like you're saying, possible UN peacekeepers, but that will only happen when uh, there's significant carnage and loss of life, loss of life has yeah. occurred. That's when they're going. And obviously we know organizations like OAC and UN in particular, they're the tools of the colonialists. So they only act in the interests of the uh, uh, colonialists themselves. I actually do think that's a really important one listeners need to take away because even what's happening is a lot of the sentiment is what is UN doing, Human Rights Watch, what are they doing, these kind of things, because, especially because there are prominent people speaking out against a potential genocide. But all of a sudden, if the Ummah is kind of expecting something from these organisations, they need to look into where these organisations came from. And equally, I think this China kind of angle is an interesting one especially because as we as you mentioned right at the beginning the division between Pakistan and India is left from British colonialist rule and do they even want a solution to that that region because they left it in that state knowing that that division would would be beneficial for them in future so why do they want a solution to this when they can continue to utilize it having said that then the Chinese, the China example then probably plays into their favour there. And bear in mind that with the UN presence in the Golan Heights since 1967 has resulted in now Trump announcing that he recognises Golan to be part of Israel. So even though it was UN troops, UN in inverted commas, that were occupying the Golan Heights, and it was an occupation because wherever there's a UN presence, in effect, it's a US occupation. What did this U.S. occupation via the U.N. in the Golan Heights result in? In Trump's announcement that the Golan is being annexed um, and, and is being recognized as being part of Israel. So now if the U.N. Um, was to have a presence in Kashmir, it's in effect the U.S. 
and the US can now dictate the policy of that region and determine its future 20 years from now, 30 years you know, from now, depending on what, how it serves its um, uh, objectives uh, against China and trying to sabotage China's uh, infrastructure projects. And that's why it's important to link even the events which are happening, happening in, um, uh, in Xinjiang against the Uyghur Muslims. So although the Muslims there are being oppressed and they've been oppressed there for decades, not just in the past year, like many Muslims would believe, but it's only gained prominence because of the US um, uh, backed media and the US controlled media, which has made it prominent in order to, ri to rile up the ire of the Muslims at large in order to use that to sabotage China's uh, projects in the Muslim world and as a means to perhaps create an insurgency by which they could be funneling uh, jihad as they did before in Chechnya and as they did in uh, Afghanistan in the 80s uh, against China by, uh, because they have a track record and they know that Muslims are the best people to use and to exploit the spirit of jihad in, in open-ended, unending uh, wars against their enemies, which was the Soviet Union in the past, and now uh, potentially China um, uh, as it's uh, a rising power. So if you then look at it within that context, and then look at um, uh, the Kashmir um, uh, issue, then you can see that any real conflict between Pakistan uh, and uh, India, um, or uh, any pretext for involvement there would have direct ramifications for China uh, strategically, uh, militarily, and um, uh, economically. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's interesting uh, uh, angle because the uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is a, a mortal threat to the uh, U.S. and we know that Pakistan has always had good links, economic links with uh, China. Who's investing heavily in uh, infrastructure in infrastructure projects in Pakistan? So the possible struggle between in, within Pakistan: do we go with the U.S. or do we stay with the, uh, China? Because the the Chinese plan will funnel trillions of dollars into state-of-the-art transportation projects that draw the continents closer together in a webbing of high-speed rail and energy pipelines, including uh, Russia. So far-flung locations in Central Asia will be modernized while standards of living will steadily rise by creating an integrated economic space in which low tariffs and the free flow of capital help to promote investment. The BRI initiative will produce the world's biggest free trade zone, a common market in which business is transacted in Chinese or EU currency. There will be no need to trade in US dollars. So the shift in currency will never increase the flow of dollars back to the United States, increasing the already enormous $22 trillion national debt while precipitating an excruciating period of adjustment. Wow. Yeah. So and no wonder then the, um, you know, the Israelis, uh, America would be using Israel in order to cross-apply the deal of the century in which basically it's a land grab, it's displacing local populations, it's uh, demolishing um, residences, um, bringing in uh, settlers, um, and then uh, it legitimizes the deal of the century because it's not an unusual one-off event. It's, it's not just happening in one part of the world. It's happening somewhere else as well. As well. So, America, so, it, so, it, so it's in line with the populist trend that uh, exists in the world under Trump, 
under Netanyahu, under Modi, now Boris Johnson here in the UK. So you can see that it's something actually America, you know, would be encouraging. And the special relationship between Modi and Netanyahu would uh, explain that. And just yesterday, as this revocation was being voted through in Parliament, Netanyahu and Modi were exchanging uh, messages celebrating their friendship on this uh, annual Friendship Day, where they were talking about their eternal uh, long relationship. And remember, after the Pulwama attack, Netanyahu uh, was um, uh, and Modi, they were talking about having an international security alliance against terrorism, uh, i.e. a US, Israeli and Indian alliance um, in a, a war on Islam. So even the way Modi talked about they carried out strikes targeting terrorist training camps inside Pakistan. It was exactly the same kind of language that the Israelis would use in carrying out strikes in Syria or in, or in Gaza. It's the same kind of language that America uses in carrying its strike all across the Muslim world. And now we see that Modi was using the same language as well. So you can see there's a common thread which is appearing you know, across the board you know, on the, uh, on all of these issues. So Modi and uh, certainly does have um, backing and support of Israel and America on this. So the real question is, you know, what is the bigger initiative? Does it legitimize the deal of the century? So it's not seen as a lone event, and it certainly does. Does it provide pretext for American activity in the region, which has an effect on China? It certainly does. Um, so those are the kind of things I think we need to be looking at so, um, um, in order to... And then is Pakistan complicit with it, with America, you know, in return for um, stepping away from China? Um, so does, uh, so as we said, after Imran Khan's visit to, uh, uh, to America and his you know, muted response... Um, uh, over the current situation and then his speech in Parliament today it, it leaves a lot of open questions of where does Imran Khan really stand in all of this and I think you mentioned about something previously about um, um, uh, a Pakistani general going to conclude that's right yeah, agree. yeah. so uh, when uh, Imran Khan was uh, uh, going to different places like Saudi Arabia for and UAE for investment uh, Mohammed bin Salman he uh, he visited Imran Khan and obviously he said that we'll give you aid but Saudi aid is in essence American aid, yeah. aid. with strings attached with strings attached exactly so so obviously America wants to uh, stop Pakistan uh, using uh, China, uh, China as its uh, main funding of uh, funder of uh, uh, infrastructure in Pakistan so the army general, one of the highest army, one of the highest army generals of Pakistani army, he, without Imran Khan's permission, flew out to uh, uh, China and uh, signed the deal himself. Because the Pakistan army, they get a lot of kickbacks yeah. from uh, China because of their projects. And they're the ones who uh, provide security for the Chinese uh, engineers who come. Because in the past, there have been kidnappings and attacks on China in order to scare them or drive them away from uh, Pakistan, that Pakistan is not safe for investment, which has been obviously initiated by Indian Secret Services or CIA, etc. Yeah. So there's a struggle in Pakistan taking place that should we go on the US, uh, down the US route or continue with the China 
in, in order to do that. And also the Pakistan army has got its own uh, thinking because obviously it wants to maintain, it, they want to maintain their own uh, uh, benefits of uh, what they receive from China. But then politically speaking, uh, the, um, obviously the Americans want to... Uh, and, I th- and I think might, it might be dawning upon some people anyway in Pakistan that really America has been using them all these years since uh, 1979 at least when they used Pakistan for as a staging ground for the war in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union. They've used Pakistan in Afghanistan again um, uh, during the reign of Musharraf uh, in the war against the Taliban. And, uh, and in the end, America has given massive investment to India. They've had, they have massive deals with them. Um, and the BJP were bought in by America uh, and, in, and helped uh, to accede to power in America uh, in the 90s. Uh, America weakened the Congress Party, uh, which was uh, influenced by the British historically. Um, if you remember in the 1990s, the BJP came in as a weak coalition partner government and Vajpayee um, or Vajpayee uh, as he was known in English the BJP president at the time uh, he had a very small um, majority and just prior to the 1999 Cargill war he, he was on the verge of being outvoted he only had a majority of one or two it was such a small majority and the situation was dire However, it was the episode of Cargill in which the Pakistani army in a short period of time dislodged the Indians from one of the most strategic parts in Kashmir, Cargill. Whoever controls Cargill controls Kashmir. Pakistan had it. But it was an American ploy by which um, to create a situation which was favourable uh, to uh, for uh, Vajpayee for winning the election, which was literally only a few days away with a massive majority. After that time, uh, Nawaz Sharif was blamed uh, for the Cargill incident because he ordered the withdrawal of the Pakistani army and handed over Cargill. From that moment, Kashmir could have been under Pakistan control because they had taken Cargill. But uh, Nawaz Sharif handed over control under instruction from the Americans back to India. BJP came back with a massive majority. Vajpayee came out as a hero who won. And after that, Vajpayee deregulated the Indian economy. Uh, he opened up the Indian economy to foreign investment. Microsoft, uh, Hewlett Packard, General Motors, all the big companies, American companies, and some German and Japanese companies start investing in India. So now the fact that you see Bangalore and other cities in India are massive technology centers influenced by uh, America in every way, American culture, American ideology, um, uh, American populism, um, um, uh, economically by America. Um, so, um, so there is a recognition that whenever uh, Trump or, uh, or an American president in the past um, has visited the region, India always gets preferential treatment. They always get big trade deals. So, so, so America really did, um, through the BJP, establish a massive presence um, uh, in India and use India as a counterbalance uh, to China, the, uh, the emerging threat. So maybe there is a realization in Pakistan that Pakistan has been used and abused um, and just been treated and exploited like a truly trafficked prostitute 
whereas India really gets all the rewards. Yeah. So that sentiment may be causing some people to reassess their relationship with America. And now that China has its own equivalent of a world bank, a world development bank, financially, it's investing a lot of money in developing other countries' infrastructure. Uh, so it can be a weapon supplier. Uh, the fact that uh, Turkey recently has been purchasing, S- purchasing S-400 from uh, Russia and not purchasing Western weapons, it kind of sets a precedent and could be emboldening in a way whereby some individuals um, are, are now looking, turning away from uh, America. Yeah, it could, could be a possibility. But then I think with the uh, victory of Imran Khan, I think that gave new hope to uh, to the people was well, reset certain things but i think this uh, the outcome of uh, kashmir now will actually determine uh, where he stands and that will expose uh, imran khan in his uh, i think it's obvious where imran khan stands yeah. and i think the elite in pakistan and the deep state is still controlled by uh, america thoroughly but there will be individuals you know within there uh, further down the chain perhaps um who who certainly do see what's going on and uh, and the Imran Khan loyalists who actually believe that he is going to be, I don't know what they believe, because uh, a lot of them uh, don't think too much, but whatever they believe, they're going to be truly disappointed and they'll be making excuses for him for mm. a long time to come. But the, the, the bottom line is, the sad thing is that it's Muslims, who are, it's Muslim blood that's being spilt at the end of the day for someone else's exactly. agenda object, like you mentioned in Afghanistan. It was the Muslims who uh, lost their lives and gave gave their lives for someone else's uh, uh, agenda. Someone else's war. With, with the use, with, with the aid of the agents of uh, uh, America. Yeah, and you I know? think sometimes this is what, as again, it should be a message to Muslims. Really, is that they get they get played too easily to the extent that we see this kind of nationalist movements mm. across the globe that are kind of being beneficial for those nations, be it India, be it some of the right-wing parties and stuff in Europe. But actually, all that leads to is more decadence and more kind of abuse of power. Whereas as Muslims, we should start to realise that we shouldn't fight nationalism with nationalism, Mm. which is what's happening sometimes, isn't it? Those people who are Imran Khan supporters, many of them very sincere, are thinking maybe this is our way of increasing kind of sentiment towards Islam, utilising Islam in the correct way. But all that's happening is you're battling um, nationalism with nationalism. And actually, we have something greater than that. And hopefully, you would like to think that these kind of episodes should make people realise that these rulers and these tools, whether there's, you know, no one's talking about sincerity or anything here, but whether, you know, their positions... They, they are not either able to do anything because of the likes of the deep state and things like that, because of the like types of systems that we have in place. Um, but when are Muslims going to start to realise that this is not what our solutions can come from? But to be honest, Kashmir itself is not on anyone's radar mm. to be resolved, yeah, because no one talks about it. Yeah, there's no will or energy in people. No, not energy. There's no incentive or will, like I said, to carry out a peace in uh, Kashmir and the, uh, uh, the only state who can initiate a war and peace is a superpower mm. yeah, which is America if America doesn't if decides that there shouldn't be any peace then, then, then there ain't going to be any peace and it's in the interest of uh, Israel is the uh, India's the largest uh, buyer of uh, weapons in Israel so it's in the interest of Israel to uh, maintain uh, chaos 
and the conflict in the region. And we've seen that across the board, haven't we? We've noticed that that chaos has inevitably helped the the kind of the economy from an American point of view in terms of weapons sales, but also in Israel. So to bring it back kind of to bring the podcast to more of a bit of a conclusion, I think it would be useful to have a bit of a discussion about really where, where should Muslims be looking? You know, what should they be doing? Because yes, we can change our profile pictures to red, like things like hashtags and things that are trending, but and people are still talking about lobbying UN and stuff. But we've seen again and again that these type of things absolutely don't seem to have any kind of impact. And, are, and more importantly, they are not from Islam. So in terms of a solution. So what can we say to our listeners in terms of what they should be looking out for, what they should be doing? And, you know, just general kind of give people an indicator to what actions they can carry out, really. Well, let's look at first what the solution not is. So like we said, the solution doesn't come from the UN. The UN is a tool of our enemies, which has been used against us over and over again, including over the issue of Kashmir, where these resolutions have been standing outstanding for a very long time. We're going to see a lot of lip service, which we have been. You know, Imran Khan, he put in a call to Erdogan. And what was Erdogan's response? Um... We will support you. We will support you. In terms of what then? He put in a call to Mahathir of Malaysia, who said, we're monitoring the situation very closely. Ooh, that's very scary. You know, um, it's, they may raise it at an OIC conference. Bear in mind, Palestine has been raging since 1947. And how many OIC conferences have these rulers and leaders paid lip service to, to the point where now that the majority of these Gulf rulers openly side with Israel against the Muslims in Palestine. If people are now getting, uh, if, if Muslims haven't learned by now from uh, Palestine and they are putting their hopes in this lip service again, then indeed we are in a very bad place. Muslims need to realise that the lip service of these rulers is nothing more than just lip service. And when they say they want to refer to the OIC, or when they're begging the great Shaitan himself to come and solve the problem for them, or going to the Shaitan's institution, such as the UN, to solve the problem for them, then they have to realize and they have to know that that will not happen. They can judge that from the reality, where we've seen this over and over again, and we can see it from the verses of the Quran where Allah tells us that the disbelievers will never stop fighting us until we change our religion. So the people that Allah has informed you about and who have a track record of their oppression, tyranny and scheming against the Muslims over the past century ever or ever since the time of the Crusaders actually uh, until now um, and to be putting in hopes in them is totally wrong. So... Uh, the only reason why they're able to play these games and use our territory and use our people and our blood um, uh, in these games is because of the fact they know the Muslims don't have a true uh, international representative leadership, an Islamic leadership that would be their defender, that would actually take some real action. Do you think really Modi and the Hindus would dare to carry out such an action if they knew that the Muslims would respond like they did historically, where they didn't care about anything and they declared jihad and the rulers in countries far away would tremor 
when they would hear that the Muslim army was coming. Muslims today would make excuses to say that they're allegedly ill-equipped or they're not strong enough or it'll cause too much damage or too much economic damage and they're not... Uh, when Muslims had far less but they were abiding by their religion then the Muslims were never in this situation and where we have now have the numbers that we do the populations that we do the armed forces that we do and knowing that Allah in the Quran he says that Muslims if there is uh, 20 offers will vanquish 200 of them and in, and, and in the worst case scenario the ratio is 1 to 2 so Muslims always had um, Allah on their side. In many verses he said, if you support the cause of Allah, Allah will support you. He'll plant your feet firmly. Do we not believe in these verses anymore? When Allah tells you that we are equivalent um, twice in our power to them um, and, and the angels they fight with Muslims. Don't we really believe in this anymore? And in fact, whenever Muslims have demonstrated Whenever Muslims have fought sincerely on the ground, have Muslims not demonstrated the spirit of jihad even in recent times? So I mentioned Kargil earlier. 700,000 troops are stationed in Kashmir. Kargil is a very high strategic point. The Pakistani army with the slogans of Takbir, the slogans of jihad and shahada, they were able to take out the Indian army very easily and very quickly. The Indian army historically has been known to be one of the largest armies in the world, but very cowardly in all their historic performances, where the Muslims historically, even in the current times, have shown otherwise. So if Modi knew that Imran Khan or the Pakistani government wasn't an accomplice to this, or they were not going to get involved because they are being they're locked down by America. If he knew there was an Islamic leadership which was going to unleash the armed forces of the surrounding countries, Indonesia, Malaysia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Iran, would uh, would would Modi have dared to have taken such a stance? All these Muslims were being slaughtered daily uh, in India and made to um, made to. Uh, sing the praises of some guy called Jay Shri Ram or whatever it is, you know, would that actually, you know, be happening? And and Muslims have to realise that the that Kashmir, we can't detach it from the rest of the issues that we are facing in the rest of the Muslim world. Kashmir is not a Kashmiri problem. In the same way Palestine is not a Palestinian problem, or Yemen or Syria or Iraq or Libya, these or Burma these are all symptoms of the very same root cause which I've just described. When the Messenger said, the Imam, the Islamic leadership, is a shield from which Muslims fight and defend themselves. That's what I'm saying. If that shield was there, would the Jews behave so arrogantly and so haughtily as they have been? Would the Hindus be behaving like that? Even the Crusaders in the West used to tremor in their feet and not behave like that. And... Since when did the Jews and the Hindus ever become warriors? You know, it's because of that. So when it comes to the solution, Muslims need to start looking at it you know, from that point of view. These are all symptoms and root causes of the same problem. Let's return to Islam and of what to identify what is our problem, what is our solution and what is the way forward. Whether it takes 
a day to move to that solution, a week, a month or a year, or two years, 10 years. Time is not the issue. There's only one solution to the whole Muslim problem. And the sooner Muslims start working towards that solution, the sooner we arrive at that solution. And the more we delay that solution, the more we delay arriving at the solution, and the more we start falling into the traps of our enemies by resorting back to the US, to the UN, to the OIC conferences, the more we start becoming satisfied by the lip service and the cheap speeches of the likes of uh, Erdogan or Mahathir or the OIC, the more uh, we will continue to be in this situation and the situation will be prolonged. Yeah, very true. It's, uh, the thing is, we face a situation where the Muslims are humiliated wherever we look. And you've got the weakest of people throughout history who all of a sudden have got a voice and are using Muslims for their own uh, objectives. So the humiliation occurs is when we move away from our deen, from Islam. Because we know the honor and the izza is with Allah and his messenger. When we move away from that, that's when we get the humiliation. I'll just give you a, an example of uh, what I was reading early on today on uh, one of the articles where it was uh, mentioned about Twitter uh, posts from uh, Hindus in India and they're singing songs and celebrating the revoking of Article 370 and they were singing songs that we're going to go to Kashmir to marry the women there. You know, can you believe it? Yeah, that, that's such humiliation and disgusting you know, behavior and this is the result of the lack of the Islamic uh, leadership, yeah, the authority. Uh, Muhammad said that one drop of Muslim blood is worth more than the Kaaba and the surroundings. He didn't say in a particular location, he just said one drop of Muslim blood anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's, it's one drop of Muslim blood in Palestine, Kashmir, Afghanistan, Iraq is, uh, is, is any different. It's all exactly the, the same. So it's not location bound. It's, Muslim blood is very precious. And the likes of the heroes of Islam, like Muhsin Billah, who sent an army, he was actually the head of the army to uh, free uh, a Muslim woman who was uh, enslaved by, uh, by someone in, uh, in, in, under the Roman Empire. And he went with his horse to liberate uh, this Muslim woman. And now we have Hindus sing, singing disgusting songs about Muslim women. When we have two billion Muslims in the world. So I think the, the main thing to, I would take from both of your points is that to start with, we need to have that element of political awareness because sometimes we look at every incident, like you've mentioned already, with a bit of a magnifying glass and just see, can we solve this problem or what can we do? Or very sincerely, many people are saying, look, do du'a for Kashmir, do du'a for Kashmir. And no doubt, obviously, we should be doing du'a. That's one of our duties as a Muslim. But to do du'a without any type of action, without understanding these are the political games that are being played with our land, with our people, with our armed forces and all of these things and not being aware of who put these leaders in place and what roles they're playing. If we don't kind of look into these aspects, then we're going to continue to remain humiliated like this. So would you say that kind of the first thing is people should kind of raise that political awareness for themselves, look into kind of solutions what from an Islamic point of view, what the solution is for this and not feel helpless because a lot of what you see and read online sometimes is people default to the, oh, let's just wait for Imam Mahdi or let's just, you know, 
this is come upon us because we deserve it things like this rather than any kind of well maybe even if like you said the solution doesn't come immediately maybe we need to take the step in the direction of the solution for it to come about so as muslims really we need to wake up and not feel helpless we have allah on our side and those people who are having their blood spilt there will be recompense for it in the afterlife in the next life but if we just sit here doing nothing then i think we will be failing our test whilst they will be recompensed for their difficulty and i think that would partially be my message is there anything your brothers want to add in addition to that no you you said it very very well and uh, the thing i would add is that a lot doesn't change the situation of the people until they don't change what's within themselves so in order for the muslims to change the situation they have to elevate their thinking yeah just because what they see or read and take it on face value is not good enough they have to do some more deep analysis deep understanding link the uh, the reality to islam get the solution from uh, from the deen and this is the early reason this is the early way that the muslims can actually uh, salvage themselves and aid themselves because if because you get a lot of pakistani uh, nationalists but again that's not a solution yeah it's yeah. like i was saying before we just end up fighting nationalism with nationalism, nationalism exactly. as if that's going to achieve anything yeah. but the day we start referring to allah as messenger that's when you see that the situation will change So I just want to thank you both for being available at quite short notice and for all the points you made. I think for that for our listeners is very important that they look wider and look at these as all being symptoms of a wider problem as brother Mas has put quite clearly and quite distinctly is when we start to bring all of this together and look for a solution I think as an ummah we will realize that you know we need to start looking back to Islam. and more holistically and collectively so again thank you for for kind of joining us on this session and i hope to all our listeners that they've benefited from this session uh please can you share and like and we've got this podcast available on all of the different platforms and thank you again also for listening assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh so